You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. I'm going to talk about something I've entitled Restoration from Failures to, to Fathers. And um, here's a question that I have based on situation in my own life. What do we do when our fathers are gone? And by that I'm talking about, um, in, this, in this case, spiritual fathers. Um, I learned um, first part of the week that Harry Bazell had passed away. And he was one of five men who were spiritual fathers in my life, men who helped me, encouraged me, and challenged me. And he was basically the only real pastor in my adult life, the only real pastor I had, and I spent nearly 14 years with him, serving, watching, learning, complaining, and criticizing uh, as a young man would do, yet being immensely, immensely helped. And not in all ways, but in some it took me years to recognize and fully appreciate him. I remembered some things my dad had told me as a young man. He once, he once told me, son, you're going to be amazed at how smart I get over the next 10 years. And he was right. Or as Mark Twain's famous quote, he said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. Well, I didn't feel that way exactly, but the older I got, the more I realized how little I knew and understood about, about life. Um, the truth is we aren't born full of wisdom. It's not an innate commodity. It doesn't come naturally but it comes by experience, it comes by inquiry, it comes by observation, but it mostly, I think, comes by humility, some of the lessons we learn that make us realize how much more we don't understand or we don't know about what it is to live a really effective, successful life. Now, this is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying I can't learn from people of all ages not saying they couldn't teach me something that's that's foolish, but every generation has valuable insight to contribute, and if we don't listen, really listen to each generation, we won't understand them, and if we don't understand different generations, different age groups, how can we effectively serve them? So, yeah, how can we help them if we don't understand who they are and where they're coming from? But it's true, there's great wisdom in listening to people who have effectively served God, successfully raised families, earned a living, cared for others, still have peace and joy in their souls, and in the face of disappointments and heartaches, they continually love and follow Jesus. Those are people we really need to pay attention to. And so the five spiritual fathers I referred to earlier really were those kind of people. They were not perfect, actually um, far, far from it, but they were unique in ways I don't have time this morning to detail. 
And, of course, everyone is unique, but honestly, it's like some are, quote, more unique, unquote. Some are more unique than others. And it really has been a privilege of mine to listen, to watch, and to learn from some that I really admired and put in that category I would call uh, spiritual fathers. So what do I do when all my spiritual fathers are gone? Well, here's what I do. I commit myself to the Lord again. And I realize God has called me in particular, but he's called each one of us to care for one another at whatever level of maturity and love we can walk in. And if we're honest, we're really honest in the face of challenges, most of us don't feel adequate to do that. I think, too, about some of the writings of Paul, something he wrote through his troubles He found himself utterly dependent on God in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. Paul says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And that's from the New King James. I also like the Passion Translation and how, Um, It writes this passage or interprets this passage. Brian Simmons wrote, We carry this confidence in our hearts because of our union with Christ before God, yet we don't see ourselves as capable enough to do anything in our own strength. For our true confidence flows from God's empowering presence. He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. Our minister is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit, because the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit pours out life. So what else do we do when our fathers are all gone? And these, this thought has rested on my heart now since uh, Tuesday morning when I found out that Harry had passed away. Well, we do this. We look to the scripture to consider the development and the characteristics of those who became fathers. And this morning I want to look particularly at uh, the Apostle Peter. Peter became, obviously, any of you have read the New Testament, um, a true apostolic father of the faith. But he experienced both great failure and great successes. And so we look at the The title this morning, Restoration from Failures to Fathers, because Peter certainly took that trip. He went that, he went that way. Those, that was his experience. And he was the first of the circle of Jesus followers who clearly identified who Jesus was. But he was also famous for his well documented denial of Jesus. And he did that when Jesus most needed friends to stand by, uh, by him during the the passion, those three days. But, um, okay, Peter denied the Lord, but why, why did he do that? How could it be so bold as to attack Jesus' so-called enemies in the Garden of Gethsemane during his betrayal and arrest, and then within 24 hours, three times he would deny that he ever knew Jesus, and he did it, the Bible tells us, with oaths and curses. So that's what we're going to look at this morning a little bit. First in Matthew 16, I'm going to read um, 
16 through 23. To set the story, Jesus had asked um, his, some of his disciples, some of the apostles, he had asked them, who do people, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And they said uh, various answers, John the Baptist, um, Elijah, they had another prophet. In. But then he apparently looked at Peter and said to Peter, who do you say that I am? And this is what Peter answered. He said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, answered him, said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And he said a few other things I'll skip. But then down in verse 21, it says this, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Well, that just did not sit well with Peter. So verse 22 there says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, or the Passion Translation said, took him aside to correct him privately. And this is what he said to Jesus. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you, or... He reprimanded Jesus privately over and over. And so Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So here's here's the picture. By revelation, Peter got something so right about Jesus no one else had really seen, but only because God showed it to him. And Peter was proud of it to the degree that when Jesus further revealed the truth of his death, his imminent suffering, Peter actually took Jesus aside to correct him privately, it says, and reprimanded him privately over and over. And so Jesus called Peter Satan. And I don't think Jesus would call anyone in anything any worse than that. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus said. So here's what we see. Peter had a pride problem. And it was a problem profound enough that it would ultimately hinder his ability to help other people and to be the man and do the things Jesus had, had called him to. But Jesus had a solution for it, and it was a painful one, but he had a solution for it. During these uh, days in the life of Jesus and his apostles, he began again and again to tell them he was going to die. And in that context, we find this exchange between Jesus and Simon Peter. And this is, this is another one. This is in Luke. Actually, we'll look at Mark first in Mark 14, 27 through 31. This was an addition to that first one we had mentioned where Jesus called uh, Peter, Satan. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after how I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And then Peter says this to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter spoke even more vehemently, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. 
And the Bible says the other apostles said the same thing. Now, if we look in Luke 22, same scenario, but different, a little bit additional information. Jesus says to Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Satan has demanded to come and to sift you like wheat and to test your faith. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that you would stay faithful to me no matter what comes. Remember this. After you have turned back to me, listen to this, folks. After you have turned back to me and have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. But, Lord, Peter replied, I'm ready to stand with you to the very end, even if it means prison or death. Peter, uh, Jesus rather looked at Peter and he prophesied, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Well, any of you that have read these portions and know the New Testament, you know, you know what happened. Um, yeah, it's, it's to disagree with the Lord in this kind of way is really, well, let me put it this way. A friend told me he once asked the Lord about something. He said, Lord, what's your opinion about this? And the Lord said, I don't have opinions. I have truth. And that was, it really sort of took me back. But, but yeah, the Lord doesn't have opinions. He knows. And so when Peter disagreed with the Lord, it was to his own hurt. And that's the truth we need to all really pay, really pay attention to. So, like I said, we all know what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was taken prisoner by a large mob consisting of Roman soldiers and temple police estimated at four to 500 men, and Peter took out his sword, and in the face of insurmountable odds, he slashed off the right ear of the servant of Caiaphas, the high priest, which is incredibly courageous and incredibly bold. So it isn't like Peter did not have a natural courage, but that was not going to sustain him. And Jesus simply healed the man's ear. To simplify it, they arrested him and all his disciples ran away in fear. So we know the story. Within hours, Peter denied with oaths and curses that he ever knew Jesus. And that in that withering cross examination of a young servant girl, of a young servant girl standing by a a fire a little distance away from Jesus, he denied the Lord. He denied the Lord. So, let me read about this because I think it's so important. This is that event. The religious leader seized Jesus and led him away, but Peter followed from a safe distance because I want us to see what Peter actually went through. They brought him to the home of the high priest where people were already gathered out in the courtyard. Someone had built a fire, so Peter inched closer and sat down among them to stay warm. A girl noticed Peter sitting in the firelight. Staring at him, she pointed him out and said, This this man is one of Jesus' disciples. But Peter flatly denied it, saying, What are you talking about, girl? I don't know him. A little while later, someone else spotted Peter and said, I recognize you. You're one of his. I know it. 
Peter again said, I'm not one of his disciples. About an hour later, someone else identified Peter and insisted he was the disciple of Jesus, saying, look at him. He's from Galilee, just like Jesus. I know he's one of them. But Peter was adamant. Listen, I don't know what you're talking about. Don't you understand? I don't even know him. While the words were in his mouth, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord, who was being led through the courtyard by his captors, turned around and gazed at Peter. All at once, Peter remembered the words Jesus had prophesied over him. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And this is uh, a very sad ending, but Peter burst into tears, ran off from the crowd, and he wept bitterly. So, Peter had a problem with both pride and criticism. The end product of both of those is that it robs us of the grace to prevail and to overcome. In Peter's case, his arrogant demand that he would never forsake the Lord and his criticism of the other apostles robbed him of the grace and the enabling to stand in that trial. But Peter, rather, Jesus had another plan to restore Peter. So Jesus saw all this coming. He knew that Peter didn't understand or believe or know what was in his own heart. He failed miserably. He wept bitterly. He disappointed the Lord. He disappointed, well, I don't think he disappointed the Lord because the Lord knew what was in him. But he disappointed his brethren and he was, he was in a bad place. Wept bitterly, the Bible says. And so then let's look at the way the Lord the way the Lord restored him. We find this over in John's Gospel, chapter 51. After they had breakfast, and what happened was, Peter said, I go a fishing. Jesus had already told him, I'm going to appear to you in Galilee. None of them really believed in the resurrection. They weren't convinced. And so they had gone back to the thing they had left, which in Peter, James, and John's case particularly was fishing. And so they went fishing, and they had a remarkable catch of fish. And because Jesus on the shore told them what to do, they weren't sure it was Jesus. They thought it was Jesus on the shore. They weren't sure, but when they caught this huge catch of fish, they knew it was the Lord, and they came in. And when they got in, Jesus had been fishing. I'm sorry, Jesus had been cooking breakfast, which consisted of fish. And after breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me more than these? Now, there's the question what the these were. Was it the fish because he'd gone back to fishing when he was supposed to be following the Lord? Or was it the other apostles about whom Peter had said he had more courage than all of them? It's a good question. I'm not sure which. But Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. So Jesus said, then take care of my lambs. Jesus repeated the question the second time. Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me? Peter answered, yes, my Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. 
Jesus responded the second time, then take care of my sheep. Then Jesus asked him again, Peter, son of John, do you have great affection for me? And the Bible tells us Peter was saddened by being asked the third time. He said, my Lord, you know everything. Yes, he does. You know that I burn with love for you. Jesus replied, then feed my lambs. Then Jesus said, Peter, listen, when you were younger, you made your own choices and you went where you pleased. But one day when you're old, others will tie you up and escort you where you would not choose to go and you will spread out your arms. Jesus said this to Peter as a prophecy of what kind of death he would die for the glory of God. And then he said, Peter, follow me. Just listen to those three words, because I believe that's what the Lord is saying to each one of us. He said, Peter, follow me. The answer for us all is simply follow Jesus. Then Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was following him. That was apparently John. And John writes this letter and he writes this about himself here in this text. This was the disciple who sat close to Jesus at the Last Supper and asked him, Lord, who is the one that will betray you? So when Peter saw him, he asked Jesus, well, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus replied, if I decide to let him live until I return, what concern is that of yours? And then Jesus told him one more time, you must still keep on following me. That's the answer for us. Follow Jesus. So, when you read the Greek text, I've been doing some study on this. When Peter was fishing, the Greek text indicates that he could possibly have literally been naked, which is a strange thing. But, in one sense, that speaks of how stripped and exposed he was, how much he was in need of restoration and covering by the Lord Jesus. And the interesting thing, of course, in Peter's case, um, everything embarrassing for Peter happened in public. He could not avoid it. And there are other interesting things here. Three times Peter denied the Lord. In his restoration, three times the Lord asked Peter if Peter really loved him. Another thing is that when Peter denied the Lord, he denied the Lord standing next to a fire there in the courtyard, I believe it said of Caiaphas. But that fire was a uniquely mentioned fire. It was a fire of coals. And Jesus restored him standing next to that exact, exact kind of unique fire. The word for that kind of fire comes from the root word to make manifest. And we can see that which Jesus wanted to manifest and remove from Peter's light came to light before that fire in the courtyard. But in that same kind of place, Jesus re restored Peter and brought to light the love Peter now had for Jesus that was unhindered from that stronghold of arrogance and pride that had once obscured it. And another thing was, when Peter was originally called to leave everything and follow Jesus, it was right after Jesus had told them, after they had had a night 
of frustrated fishing, caught no fish, fished all night. Jesus told them, let's go back out and fish some more. And they thought, well, we're not going to catch anything. Jesus told them to throw their nets in a certain place, and they caught a miraculous catch of fish. So he was called in the midst of a miraculous catch of fish, and he was restored to after a great miraculous catch of fish. So it's interesting that the Lord took him right back through some very prominent experiences in his life that ended in failure, but he took them all back through those very similar times to restore Peter. So here's something I think we need to recognize, that when Jesus restores us, when he brings us through these kind of situations, it's not punishment-based. Jesus didn't punish Peter for what he had done, but Peter's refusal to humble himself set him up for difficult experiences. If he'd agreed with Jesus' assessment and wholeheartedly admitted to the truth Jesus spoke to him on more than one occasion, he could have avoided that entire painful episode. So we really need to let the Lord speak into our lives, even through other people. We need to know the Lord wants to to help us. Jesus' restoration was reality-based. I mentioned this earlier, that Jesus took Peter through a reality-based restoration, even duplicating some of the painful aspects of his denial in that healing process of restoration. And part of being restored, and I believe this is a very important part, you can't be shamed into changing. You can't be condemned into changing. You can't be forced into changing. But true restoration and true change, a true change takes personal responsibility. Peter had to take personal responsibility for what he had said and what he had done. And as he did that, Jesus restored him. And we can't shift the blame. We can't make excuses. The truth is, and this, you know, it's a little bit of a challenging truth, is we most likely learn more through our failures than from our successes. And experience is a very effective teacher. But let me tell you something. Wisdom in someone else's experience is a much, much better teacher. That's one of the things I so much appreciated about um, the five men that I would say were at different levels and in different times spiritual fathers to me. I learned so much from their personal experiences. There were some things, literally, listen to me, there were some things they suffered, and they weren't nice things. They weren't good things. There were some things they suffered as I watched them and knew their lives that I haven't had to suffer. I've had to suffer some of my own. But, but in paying attention to them, looking at their lives, hearing their hearts, it's really helped me avoid a lot of different pitfalls. Jesus said this to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Well, if you do, feed my sheep. Take care of people, Peter. That's what I've called you to. If you follow me, that's what you'll do. I thought, too, that um, even after this restoration, Peter wasn't perfect. The Bible tells us that even as Jesus was restoring, 
he turned and saw another disciple and asked Jesus, well, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus said to him, if I decide to let him live until I return, what concern is that of yours? You must still keep on following me. So Peter was a work in progress, even after this. Even during restorations, Peter, Peter still had room to grow and develop, asking that question about John. What's, you're dealing with me. What about him? Well, comparing yourself to others and living in a competition or an us versus them mentality clouds our ability to live in harmony with people, to care about people, to help people. Listen, we don't wrestle with people. The Bible is clear. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. So what do we do when all our fathers are gone? We become fathers. We become mothers. We become strong brothers, strong sisters who are committed and dedicated to the purpose of the Lord Jesus for our lives and to helping all we come in contact with. John Mark told me earlier in the week, um, there's a man, uh, he's a missionary to Brazil. We both respect. His name is Dan Duke. And Dan Duke said he had a three-point uh, view of how he was going to live his life. And I think we can really, uh, we need to hear this. Point number one, intimacy with Jesus. After all that Peter had been through, all the episodes, all the adventures, what was Jesus' advice to Peter, a very simple advice. He said, Peter, follow me. Peter, follow me. Intimacy with Jesus. Number two, respect for the scriptures. It's these very verses, these scriptures that point us to the character of God, the love of God, the processes of God. We need to have respect for the scripture. That was number two. And number three, kindness to all people everywhere. So those are three great points. Intimacy with Jesus, respect for the scriptures, and kindness to all people. So God bless you folks. So good to be able to speak with you today. And um, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to bless you. Father, we do. We thank you so much for the great care you take, even when we miss it. You don't leave us alone. You draw us back. You put us in uh, situations, or maybe we even make some of these situations. We've seen that, but we find ourselves in situations where even though they may be painful, you work things out so that we can maybe avoid things like that further down the road. But Father, you're a good Father. You're a good God. Thank you so much for those that have gone on before us who've learned of you and who have imparted into our lives things that make a difference. And, Father, I just bless Queen City Church this morning. I bless anyone within earshot, anyone who watches or hears this. Father, cause your favor, your mercy to rain down and rain through us. I just pray in Jesus' name, amen. you
You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.